It's Thursday, May the 2nd, and today is the National Day of Prayer. And what a miracle we have seen these last few weeks. Our prayers for the Christians in North Korea are being answered. And that is something some of us, I think, even wondered if that was even possible. It is a completely clear miracle. So North Korea has signed a treaty with South Korea. They started taking down the speakers that have been pounding out propaganda news for decades. Prisoners are being released, and there are rumors that Christianity will become a legal religion in North Korea, and that the borders will be opened to missionaries. So continue to pray that this will happen. In my lifetime, the German Wall came down, the Iron Curtain came down, and now the North Korean propaganda speakers have come down. God is awesome. Prayer works and don't give up. Continue to pray. And you can learn more about the history of North Korea on my blog. You'll find my blog at laureliesiemens.com and you can look at the blog under the history section and you will find the history of North Korea, which I actually keep that blog updated and continue to add to it as more important things are happening in North Korea. You'll also find in that section the history of Israel and why Israel has the right to defend its borders. We are on a countdown to the 70th celebration of the nation of Israel. May 14th, it will be 70 years since Israel was reborn. The rebirth of Israel was a miracle. Celebrating the 70th year is a miracle. For the last 70 years, the world has tried to destroy this tiny country. Our Canadian history segment today dates all the way back to World War II, before Israel was, was reborn as a nation. It starts June 1939, actually in America. A ship named St. Louis tried to dock at the port of Miami with 937 passengers. Most of those passengers were Jewish, and they claimed to be trying to leave Europe to escape death. The Americans refused to allow the ship to dock, and the ship then tried Canada. The Prime Minister at the time was Mackenzie King. He was a liberal. King also refused to allow the ship to dock, and the Jews on board were not allowed to come into Canada. The ship was sent back, and the passengers were killed by the Nazis. In the summer of 1942, a ship called the SS Drothenholm set sail from Sweden to New York City. On this boat was a man named Herbert Karl Beyer. He claimed to be a refugee leaving Germany because he was going to be killed. The FBI questioned him and there was a matter of $7,000 that Herbert could not explain where it came from. The FBI was convinced Herbert was a Nazi spy. Herbert was put on trial and found guilty. Herbert was then used as an example as to why refugees should not be allowed into the country at the time of war. So other ships full of Jews were sent back. This would become a dark spot in the history of both America and Canada. After the war, the world saw inside of the death camps and realized the horrors of what had happened to the Jewish people. It was clear. Sending the ships back to Germany was wrong. We had sent hundreds of Jews to their deaths. To make sure this would never happen again, 
Canada and the United States made a promise that if someone sets foot in either of our countries and claims that their lives are at risk, we will allow them to stay while we look into their claim. We will even take care of them while we look into their claim. Canada and United States also made an agreement that if either of our countries had accepted a person as a refugee, they would not be allowed to cross the border and try, try to claim refugee status in the other country. This was a third safe country agreement. So a person could not cross a Canadian American border and claim refugee status. Today, there are groups that have an agenda to rid the world of borders. One group is literally, if you translate it into English, villages with no borders. They don't believe that Canada and the United States have a right to defend their border. They don't even have a right to have a border. So this is the group that is behind the caravan traveling across Mexico and trying to enter into the United States. The reason that America is letting them in a few at a time and processing them goes back to those ships from World War II. The group behind Villages With No Borders has told these people exactly what to say. They are saying they need to claim asylum. Their lives are in danger if they go back to their home. Because they are saying this, they must be allowed to enter the United States. They are told they are free to live in the States and they must come to a court on a given day to prove that they are actually refugees. The problem is that most of these people never show up at court and simply continue living in the United States. Well, maybe you're thinking they're coming from such horrible countries. They need help. America should help. America is a great country with freedom and lots of space, and they should be helping. Well, what if I said people are fleeing America and coming to Canada as refugees from the United States? Remember, Canada and the United States have a treaty that says we don't have to accept refugees from each other's countries. Well, apparently that only counts at an actual border. If you walk across a field, you can claim refugee status and we have to let you in. Okay, I know, I've talked about this for a few weeks now, about this crisis that we have at Roxham Road. If you remember, our Prime Minister sent out a tweet saying Canada was open and anyone could come. In case you're unaware, Justin Trudeau is a globalist. He claims Canada is the first post-nation country. Did you know that if you're a Canadian, that you're part of a post-nation country? He doesn't believe in borders, so of course he has no problem with this. It started with a few hundred people walking across a ditch filled with water. Then our government put out a small wooden bridge, you know, so that they wouldn't have to walk through the water to cross our border illegally. So more came. Then we paved the bridge. That way the refugees could wheel their expensive luggage easily into Canada without any problems. Now we've actually built a large building. That way, the people breaking into our country can be comfortable while they are processed. So it kind of seems like an actual border now. Next to the bridge that we paved, and before the nice building that we built, there's a sign. It says, stop. It is illegal to cross the border here or any place other than a port of entry. You will be arrested and detained if you cross here. So the people walk right past that sign. It actually means nothing. Also, don't forget, 
We give free housing, monthly checks, dental, health care, all free for anyone claiming refugee status while they wait for the government to decide if they're actually refugees. We have such a backlog that'll take up to 11 years. During the Harper years, the government found out that the health care plan for refugees was better than the health care plan for Canadians. So Harper changed that, making sure that if Canadians couldn't access something with our provincial health care, then a non-Canadian couldn't access it either. The Liberals have reversed this, meaning that people who have never paid taxes and who broke into our country illegally have a better health care plan than Canadians have. And the good people at the CBSA, that's our border guys, they're not happy. They talked to the Toronto Sun this week and said the government is making it up as they go along. They have no idea what they're doing. The CBSA is now stationed at Roxham Road, even though it's not an official border. And even though they are now forced to work there, they can't actually enforce the laws. If this is now run, as an official border, I kind of feel like the third safe country agreement should be in effect. Our government has claimed that they asked the United States to look a little bit closer at the visas they're issuing, because it kind of seems like people are getting visas to visit the states, and then they're going directly from their plane after they land to Roxham Road. So how does a Christian handle this? Well, some would say God has called us to be loving, and pointing out this problem that I just pointed out, that's not loving. I'm actually sinning telling you about it. I'm going to address this at the end of the podcast, but I will say that God never called us to be stupid. If 600,000 people are coming into our country and we have no idea who they are, and they're coming from countries where there's, you know, a problem with terrorism, the chance that a few terrorists are getting across that border is kind of high. If I'm in my home with my family and people are breaking into my home, it would not be loving for me to allow them in. My job as a parent is to protect my family. Our government's job is to protect us. Look, I'm a person who believes strongly in limited government. There's not a whole lot of things I think the government should be doing for me. But protecting me, protecting the borders, that's something they should be doing. It's not loving to open our borders and say anyone can come in. It's also not loving to the people who are waiting in line and doing things legally. Their wait is now a lot longer because we're overwhelmed with all these line jumpers. That's not loving. At the end of World War II, we agreed to allow refugees into our country because of what happened to the Jews that we turned away. This agreement was made out of love and compassion, but now it's being used to destroy us. But you know what? A lot really hasn't changed since World War II, especially not when it comes to how we feel about Jewish people. I want you to go through a little checklist with me. Are you a national socialist? If you're not sure what that is, Bernie Sanders is a national socialist. Do you believe that Israel as a nation does not have the right to exist and that the Jews are occupying land that should be taken away from them? Do you believe that the Jews are responsible for the unrest in the Middle East? Well, if you gave a check to this, I'm going to guess that if you lived in Germany in the 30s and 40s, you would have been wearing a Nazi symbol on your arm. Hitler was a National Socialist. It's what Nazi stands for. Hitler blamed the Jews for all the problems in Germany. 
and Hitler didn't think the Jews had a right to their own land. Today we have people in Canada, even in our churches, who believe this right now. This is a problem our churches need to address. We can't pretend the problem of anti-Semitism is not growing in our churches. It was growing in the churches in Germany for years before it was too late. It must be addressed. This week, Israel's Secret Services did something amazing. They found and released information proving that Iran has a nuclear program. Iran with nukes? That's a worldwide problem. If you're unaware of the history of Iran, I've covered it before, but here's a little bit of it. In January, I began to see little snippets of information about protests starting up in Iran. I try to get more information from the news media, but they're basically silent on the issue. The media doesn't want to cover protests in Iran because then they have to admit Iran's kind of a terrible country. But throughout January, more and more pictures and videos began to show up on social media. Something big could happen, but only it would be big if the West supported the protests. The image of a woman standing in a large box with her hair uncovered, it went viral on social media. It didn't, however, gain much media attention. So she's waving a stick and on the stick was her hijab. This picture stopped me. I had to look at it. It was a picture of bravery. The day after the picture was taken, the woman went missing. Some said she was dead, some said she was arrested. No one really knows what happened to her except that she's missing. On the spot where the picture was taken, people started leaving flowers. As the weekend ended, 12 people had been killed. Over 400 were arrested. The protests were basically just stopped by the government. The people protesting, they wanted freedom to choose their own clothes. They wanted to end barbaric things like throwing gays off roofs or stoning women because they'd been raped. But why would our leftist media ignore this? Well, they want to save the Iran deal. So what is the Iran deal? Obama's legacy is dependent on a deal he signed being successful. That deal is the Iran deal. The deal was supposed to make sure Iran didn't produce a nuclear weapon. In exchange for not producing a nuclear weapon, America was going to lift sanctions and unfreeze assets. So what does that mean? Alright, a quick history lesson. First, you need to know that Iranians are not Arabs, they are Persians. And for 2,500 years, Iran had a Persian monarchy and the leader was the Shah. So the Shah really wasn't great. It was under the Shah that the Jews were all expelled from Iran. Jews had lived in Iran for more than 2,000 years. Families had settled there during the time of Daniel. However, when Israel was established as a country, Iran, in its anger, kicked out every single Jew. No one ever really talks about that. The Shah wasn't great, but it would actually get worse because, well, next, Iran got Islam. If you look at pictures of Iran during the Shah, it looks basically the same as pictures in Canada in the 70s. It's very Western. There's art, music, basic freedom. The women wore short skirts. The men wore bell bottoms. Really, it's hard to tell the difference between pictures of families in Iran and pictures of families in Canada. It's definitely not like what we see today. Then October of 1977, things changed. So here in Canada, we're watching the first ever Star Wars movie, and in Iran, they were getting rid of the Shah. People were marching in the streets because they wanted an Islamic Republic. The demonstrations grew, and then in 1979, in January, 
the Shah left Iran. Now those fighting for Islamic Republic began to fight even harder, and on April the 1st, 1979, Iran became an Islamic Republic. Then November the 4th, 1979, the United States Embassy was captured and 52 Americans were taken hostage. And the hostages were held for 444 days. Still to this day, that is the longest hostage crisis in history. Then came President Reagan. He was the president for like five minutes and then the hostages were free. Of course, some people still tried to say that was a coincidence, but basically Reagan kind of changed the world while he was in power. Remember me talking about in my lifetime, the German wall coming down, the Iron Curtain? Yeah, that was Reagan. At the beginning of the hostage crisis, America froze the assets of Iran. That means if there was any money in a bank account that America had control over, Iran couldn't touch that money. And they also set in place sanctions, meaning Iran was not able to trade with the United States. And this, of course, hurt their economy. Iran fully embraced Islam, meaning a married woman couldn't leave the country without her husband's permission. A woman's testimony as a witness was half as much of, as a man's. In a public place, a woman must wear a hijab and loose-fitting clothing. Polygamy, temporary marriages are permitted for men, but not for women. Women are frequently subject to honor killings. In a case where the father kills his daughter, he is not liable for the death penalty, only for imprisonment. But when someone is murdered, the family of the victim can then forgive the murderer. So a father kills his daughter, then the brother forgives the father, and then nothing happens. In the last, say, 15 years, something has changed. Social media came, and suddenly people began to see how the rest of the world lived. And a generation that had grown up never living in freedom began to hear thoughts of pro-Western free thinkers. The Iran government had to stop this right away. So in 2009, Twitter was shut down. It doesn't work in Iran at all. Social media that does exist is very monitored and people are jailed for saying anything against Islam. But it was too late. The younger generation had already seen what freedom looks like and they wanted it. So the green movement started. It's also called the Persian awakening. The Persian people wanted Islamic country out. They want freedom. At the time, Obama was the president of the United States and he was trying to make this Iran deal. So he really did nothing about trying to help the Persian uprising. And those fighting for freedom were killed, arrested and tortured. Hundreds of young Persians were captured. Hundreds of them tortured and hundreds of them killed. During all those years, Iran has stated one clear goal. Destroy Israel, kill every Jew. So you might be thinking, why exactly did America want to make a deal with Iran? I don't know, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. While Obama was making this deal with Iran, the people of Israel begged him not to. They knew the Iran government wanted one thing, to build missiles that could wipe out Israel. Obama didn't care. In fact, some people think he made the deal with Iran purposely because Obama really was not a fan of Israel. The Iranian people didn't want the deal. They're in the streets trying to overthrow the government, but Obama didn't care. And so the deal was signed and Iran got everything. Literally America flew planes with pallets of actual cash, millions into Iran. This was the money that had been frozen. Iran promised it would not build a nuclear bomb, but something else happened between 2009 revolution and today. 
a Christian revival has begun to sweep Iran. In 2012, there was 384,897 Christians. By 2016, there was 1 million Christians. Today, there are more than 3 million Christians in Iran. These are people converting to Christianity even though the punishment for this in Iran is death. Okay, so now you're caught up to 2018. Iran is run by a man named Rouhani. Obama told us for eight years that Rouhani is a nice guy, a moderate. We could trust him. However, under his rule, executions only increased. Acid attacks on women increased. Christians going to prison increased. Basically, since 1979, every single year in Iran, it's only gotten worse. So again, to sum up the Iran deal, Obama lifted sanctions, gave Iran cash that had been frozen, and Iran said, promise, we won't build a nuclear weapon. Oh, and one more thing. There was a sunset clause on this deal, which means after 10 years, Iran would be allowed to build a nuclear weapon. That was three years ago. So there's seven years left to this. Now, Iran said at the time of the deal, hey, we're an Islamic country. Remember, Islam is a religion of peace, so we would never have a nuclear program. That would go against our religious beliefs. So Trump has to decide, is he going to continue with this deal? Here's a little interesting fact. If this deal is renegotiated and signed, it would be a seven-year peace treaty. Because remember, it was originally a 10-year peace treaty, and that was three years ago. So for those of you who study Bible prophecy, that's kind of interesting. This last week, though, Benjamin Netanyahu, and if you don't know who he is, he is the awesome leader of Israel. He made this epic live video statement. The Iran deal is a sham. They have weapons and they have a nuclear program. They lied when the deal was made and they're lying today. The files for the nuke program had been sent to a secret area. They're continuing to develop the weapons and it will be ready when the 10 years were up. That would be seven years from now. Israel isn't the only country that is desperate for Iran to not have a nuclear program. Really, every country in the world should be desperate for this. But specifically, Jordan, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia, they want this Iran deal gone. And they're actually siding with Israel, which is something interesting because these have been Israel's enemies for many, many years. They don't want these weapons in the hands of Iran. Now, you would think with this new information, the Iran deal would be dead. But those who supported Obama still don't want it to end. Like this guy named Ben Rhodes, who, by the way, he was a writer who never actually published anything, but he happened to be friends with Obama, so he got to become his national security advisor. True story. So he's defending this deal, and he's still lying to us. He says Iran is a moderate country now. Not true. Still locking up women for letting their hair show, still throwing gays off roofs, still stoning women to death, still funding terrorists, still cracking down on protests. So where does this leave us? This week, once again, from a Christian, I heard, well, all we need is love. I mean, love conquers all. If we love, we win. Wow, that is so deep. If only we had known this sooner in history. 
I mean, we could have skipped the entire Civil War. The problem was the slaves just didn't love the slave owners enough. If the slaves had just been more loving, we could have ended the slave trade. We didn't need a Civil War. And World War II, what a waste. Turns out the Jews just had to love the Nazis. That would have solved everything. I mean, if a Jew had just given Hitler a hug, all would have been good. Look, this is obvious garbage. When God said in the Bible to love our enemies, that didn't mean we do nothing while bad things happen. Obviously, the slave trade wouldn't have ended with love, and obviously a hug wouldn't have changed Hitler. And today, love isn't going to stop Islamists from building nuclear weapons and killing us all. Now, to contrast what I just said, there are stories that show that love did have a profound impact during these times. One is Keekly. She was a slave who met Mary Todd and became friends with her. Keekly ended up working in the White House for Mary Todd and Abraham Lincoln. When their child died, Keekly was a huge support for Mary Todd, and many people believe that it was her influence on the family that pushed Abraham Lincoln into making slavery illegal. And then there's the story of Corey Ten Boom, who was held in a concentration camp because she was caught helping the Jews. While in the camp, Corey had a difficult time with the concept of loving those who were guarding them. It was her sister that kept reminding her that she must love and not have hate in her heart. After the war, Corey met the guard who killed her sister. And when he asked her for forgiveness, Corey at first wanted to refuse. But the love of God in her heart made her stretch out her hand and shake the hand of the Nazi that had killed her sister. And today, as Christians are being brutally murdered by Muslims, they are showing love. This is impacting the Muslim community, all the way to the point where one guard became a Christian before the execution of a group of Christian men and was executed right along with them. So yes, when God said love conquers, all this is a truth. But it doesn't mean we put our heads in the sand and refuse to defend ourselves or to defend those being killed. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There is a time when we need to reach our hand in love and forgiveness. And there isn't a time when we need to drop a bomb that collapses a mountain full of secret tunnels full of terrorists. There is a time when we need to mend a treaty agreement. And there's a time we need to tear it up because it never should have been made in the first place. There is a time we open our doors 
to the hurting and the needing and embrace them. And at time we close our doors to those taking advantage of us and refrain from embracing. Our churches seem to be captivated by this idea that we just need to love. Everything will be great if we can just love. I believe our churches care less about loving others and more about making sure others love us. It's not that we want to love. It's that we want to be loved. You can tell this is the church's priorities if they spend more time boasting about the great reputation the church has in the community and less time talking about the need the community has for Jesus Christ. If the church won't talk about sin because it's too controversial, they don't care about being loving. They care about being loved. It's not loving to let people continue living in their sin. But you will be more loved if you do that. Jesus said the world hated him and they will hate us too. If the same world that hates Jesus loves our church, then we have a problem. If our community is kicking Jesus out of the schools and out of public communication, but they think our church is a terrific place, we might be doing something wrong. We might be loved, but that doesn't mean we are loving. There's a time to love and there's a time to hate. There's a time when hate is the right thing. That verse starts off with a time to be born and a time to die. Every single one of us will face both of those times. We are born and we will all die. The question is, are we ready for death? The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. We will face God. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. The judgment we will face is eternity in hell. And I know hell, it's not really a popular thing to say or talk about. You might even say it's not really a very loving thing to talk about. But the Bible talks about hell more than it talks about heaven. It's a real place. And according to the Bible, those who sin are on their way to hell. But there is a time for love. And love does actually conquer all. Because God in his love made a way for us to escape. God came to earth. Jesus Christ, who is God, lived here on earth. He was sinless, and his death and resurrection is our way to God. When we admit, yes, we are sinners, when we believe that Jesus is God and the only way to heaven, when we call out to him in prayer and ask him to forgive us, he will. He always will. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. I'm Loralee Siemens. I'm going to be away next week, but you can visit my website and catch up on old podcasts and videos you've missed. Visit at lauraleesiemens.com.